Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Now hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 11. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who is born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Stan, thank you so much for doing our reading today. Would you pray with me as we ask the Lord to speak to us through his word? Let's pray. Lord, people are, are searching searching for hope, searching for truth, searching for answers, searching for comfort, searching for strength. And Lord, what we're all really searching for is you. And you've told us, Lord, that those who search for you will find you. And Lord, we thank you for the ministries of our partners, Themis and Donna, helping people find you. We thank you for the ministries of others that we support. We thank you for the ministries of River of Life and helping people who are homeless at this time to, to find comfort and hope physically but also spiritually. May you continue to bless those ministries and those people who, who come to them searching. May they find Jesus. And Lord, as we're here today, we pray that we too would find Jesus, that the problems that we have, the challenges that we have, the sufferings that we experience, that in all those we would be drawn to Jesus and find hope and comfort, and help, and strength. Lord, as we look in your word today, we invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, and that he would take this message and apply it to our hearts, and that the Holy Spirit would speak through me words that are true, and that honor Christ and lift him up. So bless this time, we pray now, in Jesus' name. Amen. It was November 1st, and the year was 1661, and Queen Marie Therese from Spain was about to give birth. She was married to King Louis XIV of France, and she was in labor, about to give birth, and her quiet palace room suddenly became very crowded, filled with princesses and counts and duchesses, because the birth of a royal baby was a big deal, and you were supposed to have witnesses. And so all these people came into her room, adding to her fear and discomfort as she's giving birth. And one of the reasons they were there was to make sure no one tried to swap out the baby. If the baby was stillborn, they wanted to make sure no one swapped out a living baby. If the, boy, the baby was a girl, they wanted to make sure they didn't switch a boy in there because the baby was going to be the heir to the throne, and they had to find out that this was really the baby. And so here she is with a room filled of people, but if, as if that wasn't enough, outside to make her fear more, feel more comfortable because she was from Spain and living in France, they had hired 
a Spanish musicians and dancers to be outside, and they have castanets, and they're playing Spanish music outside her window. And she's crying out in her native language, in Spanish, crying out, no quiero dar a luz, quiero morir, which translated means, I don't want to give birth, I want to die. <laughs> well, after 12 hours of painful labor, she gave birth to a beautiful royal baby boy. Well, some 1,600 years early, earlier, there was another Marie, or Mary as we pronounce her name, who was in labor. It was going to be a royal birth. But this time, the witnesses weren't counts and princesses. The witnesses were four-footed and winged, some smelly shepherds who were there who witnessed the birth, or at least shortly after the birth. And when we hear this familiar story, I don't know if you have had this question that I've had. But I'm thinking, we're told that God had all eternity past to prepare for this event. And dare I say it, that God the Father doesn't look very well prepared. I mean, who was supposed to make the reservations anyway at the inn? And there are no reservations. There's no place in the inn. And really, a cave for a delivery room? And for a cradle, we have a feeding trough? It doesn't seem well planned. And they're surrounded not by family, not by royalty at the birth. They're surrounded by strangers. And all of this was preceded by a 90-mile journey. Now, your Christmas card tells you that Mary was riding on a donkey. The scriptures don't tell us that. We don't know if she rode a donkey or not. Have you ever ridden a donkey? I can't imagine riding a donkey for 90 miles. She probably walked. It would have been 10 to 20 miles a day that they traveled to make the journey. And they would have traveled on unpaved, hilly trails. And these trails passed through the, the Jordan Desert, which if it was in the winter, the temperatures would be in the 30s during the day, freezing at night. It was a time of torrential rain and even snow. And one of the most terrifying parts of their journey would have been through the Jordan River, which was highly forested, and was filled with lions and bear and wild boar. And as if that wasn't enough, along the 90-mile journey, they would be faced, or potentially faced, with bandits that they had to be afraid of. Yes, it was a royal birth, but it was preceded by a royal pain of a journey. We don't know what Mary expected when she said yes to God, but I'm sure this wasn't it. How about you? When you said yes to God, and when you say yes to God, is what happens next what you expect? Probably not. But Mary said yes to God. And tragically, the pain of the birth of being the mother of the royal child became worse. And you know the story. There's arrest. There's torture. There's unjust execution. And the pain for Mary must have been unbearable. And it's all because she said yes to God. Now, certainly the Christmas story is one of great joy. But just like real life, the Christmas story has 
and results in ups and downs of good times and bad times, of difficulties and disappointments, even disasters, as well as hopefulness and happiness and holiness. As you know, the story proceeds, and there's a royal entourage of, of wise men who recognize that there's been a royal birth, and they go to visit the royal child in his house to worship him. They give him gifts, but in sharp contrast, King Herod hears of a royal birth, and he tries to exterminate the royal child, and in the process kills all the boys under a certain age in Bethlehem. When Jesus was born, one out of three births within a year resulted in a death. And if Jesus survived that one out of three, Herod had planned to make sure they didn't live any longer. As a result, Mary and Joseph grabbed the royal child and they went into exile in Egypt the royal child in exile. And after the death of King Herod, the royal child returned to Israel, and we don't know much about him. He lived a quite ordinary life, and we don't know anything about him until he turns 12. Well, the story of the royal child, Jesus, has a rough, not a royal beginning, and it has a very rough and non-royal, which some people would say end, though it's not really the end. We're told about it in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. I'm going to pick up the story beginning in verse 36. You'll recognize it immediately as the crucifixion. Luke 23, verse 36, And the soldiers also mocked him, mocked Jesus, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, if you really are royalty, if you have a claim to the throne, save yourself. This is royal mockery, and the irony is those who are mocking Jesus for claiming that he is royal, that he is a king, put a sign over his head in the three major languages of that region. And the sign was in Greek, it was in Latin, and it was in Aramaic, and it said, ironically, in verse 38, it tells us, it said, this is the king of the Jews. Not that he claimed to be, but it is. Is this really the king? Is he really a royal? And the short-sighted and the deceived think that this ends the royal reign. But actually, it's the beginning of the royal reign. As Paul Harvey, that beloved American broadcaster, used to say, let's hear the rest of the story. Ephesians chapter 1 the Apostle Paul tells us the rest of the story, and we're going to pick it up in verse 20, the middle of a sentence, Ephesians 1:20. It says, which he, speaking of God the Father, brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. His death didn't end the story, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus has a position of royalty in heaven, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is royalty. And then it says in verse 22, And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. What looked like the end of the king himself was actually the very beginning of his reign. And King Jesus is reigning now in heaven. 
But his reign is not just an ethereal one. Because his kingdom is wherever the will of the king is done. Sadly, most of us preachers forget to point out the fact that our future involves just not heaven, but also earth. That Christ's kingdom isn't just in heaven, it's on earth. In fact, every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you attest to this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wherever Christ's will is done, that's his kingdom. And that's why Jesus would say, the kingdom is within you. Because if Christ is in you and you're doing his will, his kingdom is within you. Because his kingdom is wherever his will is done. Right now, his will is exclusively done, of course, or not exclusively, but in the expanse of heaven, his will is done by everyone. On earth, it's done by some of us. But the future, his will will be done on all the earth. And people who take the Bible seriously, who take it literally, understand that there is a future earthly reign of Christ on earth. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 19, the last book of the Bible, toward the end of your Bibles in Revelation chapter 19, picking up in verse 11, it describes the king's return. And in verse 11, John, the writer says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it, this is Christ, of course, is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. He's coming to fight for his kingdom and to set it up. And in verse 16, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now you're wondering, well, when do we get to write something down in the notes that we have? Well, now's the time. The outline's available at the door. If you did get one, if you're watching online, it's available on our website. If you click that little bar that says here are the sermon notes. Number one, here it is. Here's a life principle we get from the principle of Jesus. Number one, when your life is at its worst, remember your story isn't finished yet. When your life is at its worst, remember your story isn't finished yet. Many people thought Jesus' story ended on the cross. My goodness, it didn't. His reign was just about to begin. We all love happy endings. If you're reading a novel and you're going through it and you're expecting the, the hero to come back from battle and to marry the girl and then at the end of the story, he's killed and he doesn't marry her and she doesn't live happily ever after, you might throw the novel down. If you're watching a movie and your hero doesn't defeat the villain and the villain isn't destroyed or captured, you groan. Why? Because life is supposed to have a happy ending. It's in us. It was created in us to desire happy endings. Former Beatle John Lennon was a, a great songwriter and a horrible theologian. <laughs> but he did make popular a, what I would say, a theologically accurate statement that is attributed to actually a Brazilian writer by the name of Fernando Sabino. And the statement is this. Everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. I like that. Everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Christmas, of course, is not the end of the story. In fact, it's just the beginning. There are wonderful Christmases, but there also are tragic 
Christmases. There are people in this room that can't wait for Christmas and others who can't wait for Christmas to be over. And if Christmas is all there is, if Christmas is the end rather than the beginning, we all are in a lot of trouble. But the royal story doesn't end with Christmas, of course. It doesn't end with the royal birth. And more amazingly, the royal story doesn't even end in the death of the royal. Everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, then it's not the end of the story. Your life, when it's at its worst, is when you need to most remember that your story isn't finished yet. The scripture is filled with men and women who understood this. One of them, of course, who suffered perhaps the most, at least recorded in scripture, was the Apostle Paul. And he lost family, fortune, and fame. He suffered physically. He suffered emotionally. He suffered beatings and shipwrecks, unjust imprisonments, chronic painful illness. And yet he constantly found joy in remembering that his story wasn't finished yet. Notice how he puts it in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul writes this. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. If it's not okay, it's not the end, Paul says. But that's only true of royals. It's only true of people who are part of the royal family whose ending is okay. And Paul makes this clear in the preceding verse, in verse 17 of Romans 8. And he says, and if children, heirs also. If you are children, you are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Have you ever entertained the thought that someday a rich uncle will die who had no kids, maybe he's never married, and he's going to leave you a big inheritance? I was kind of hoping that, and then I realized, I'm that rich uncle. <laughs> Someone's waiting for me to die. <laughs> uh, a little bit longer. Uh, but better than a rich uncle dying, wouldn't it be better to have the king of the world living? And saying, I will share this all with you, that everything, you are a co-heir with me. You get it all. Wouldn't you want to be born into that kind of family? Wouldn't you want to be a royal and inherit the kingdom? Well, the king tells us how in John 3, 3. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus, the royal, he's talking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and he says to him, and tells him how it can be part of the royal kingdom. He said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, literally in the Greek, that means born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you want to see God's kingdom, if you want to be heir of the kingdom, you have to be born into God's family. Second thing to note, if you're taking notes, is this. If you are born again, then you have royal blood, and you are an heir to the kingdom. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, 
invited him into your life, if you've recognized your sin and your need to be saved and become born again, you have royal blood and you are an heir to the kingdom. But oddly enough, that isn't the end of your story. And the reason that's not the end of your story is because your story actually has no ending. Revelation chapter 22 may be the last chapter in the Bible, but it's not the ending of the story. <laughs> Revelation 22 verse 3, John is writing, he's talking about the future, and he says, and there shall no longer be any curse. You've been wondering when we finally get rid of these masks? Well, they're gone by then, I can tell you. The curse is gone. No more mess. Hopefully before then, but there shall no longer be any curse. The curse on the earth is gone. In fact, you sing about that in the song, Joy to the World. I don't know if you noticed, but Joy to the World talks not just about his first coming, but his second coming when the curse is removed. That's his second coming. And there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb. Notice singular throne, but two people on the throne. <laughs> I like that. They're both reigning. God the Father, God the Son, the Lamb. The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. All through the Old Testament, we're told you can't see God's face and live. Why? Because of his holiness and our unholiness. His holiness would consume us, but we will be made holy. We will be made perfect. We'll be sinless, and we can gaze on the face of God. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. I don't know if that's a physical name, branded. I know that name means character. And maybe the idea is character is going to be in you internally, in your thoughts, in your brain. We can ask him when we get there what he meant. And there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them. And here's the part I wanted to get to. And they shall reign forever and ever. That's us, co-heirs. Which brings us to the third thing. On your notes there, number three, your story doesn't just have a happy ending. It has endless happiness. It doesn't just have a happy ending. It has endless happiness. And who doesn't want that? I was going to say don't raise your hand, but you can raise your hand. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, who doesn't want endless happiness? Think about it. What often gets you through a hard day at work or school or at home? Well, thinking about the evening and whether it's reading a book or watching a movie or a show or just hitting your bed, you look forward to that ending. And what gets you through a difficult week is looking forward to the weekend. And for me, I mean, I can't wait to see you and be here at church. And, and, and sometimes you just look forward to the recreation or sleeping in. It gets us through the hard times of the week. And what gets us through a hard year? Well, it's going on vacation, right, Pastor Pete, if you're watching? <laughs> and these are all just precursors, just small samples to remind us what gets us through a difficult life. The glory of being royals in the kingdom forever and ever. Paul says in Romans 8.18, he says, I consider, and that Greek word logism, I consider, is an accounting term. And it meant in the secular world to reckon, to calculate, to ponder these things. For I consider, I ponder, that the sufferings, notice plural, sufferings, sometimes they come one right after another. Sometimes they come all at once. 
And he says, the sufferings, I think about it. And when you're overwhelmed, you go, Lord, what is next? And Paul tells us, the glory is next. The glory that is to be revealed to us. Jesus, the heir to the throne, knew suffering. Jesus suffered more than any person who has ever suffered. Not just physically, and not physically. Other people have suffered worse than Jesus did physically. Other people were crucified and tortured. But no one else bore the sins of the world on them. No one else suffered what it was like to be holy and pure and have filth put on him. And so he cries out to the Father, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in all eternity, he couldn't feel the presence of his Holy Father because your filth was on him, my filth was on him. How did he get through this? He tells us in Hebrews 12 too, it says, who, Jesus, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Amen. <laughs> Despising the shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy of the kingdom got him through the suffering, the worst suffering anyone has ever suffered. Like Jesus, your story doesn't just have a happy ending. It has endless happiness. Horatio Spafford was a successful attorney. He was a real estate investor, and he was a devout Christian. But in the Chicago fire of 1871, he lost a great fortune. And about that same time, he lost his four-year-old son. The pain and, and grief was incredible, and thinking that it would do his family well to just get away from it all and go on a vacation, he put his wife and his four daughters on a ship to sail to England across the Atlantic, and he said, I'll join you a little later. I have some business I have to finish. Well, while his wife and daughters were on that ship and he was working, that ship was crossing the Atlantic, had a collision, and it sank. 200 lives were lost, including his four precious daughters. His wife was rescued, and she made it to England, and she telegrammed back, and she said, saved alone, what should I do? Well, Horatio Spafford immediately boarded another ship to sail across the Atlantic to go to England to be with his wife and comfort her. And as he was sailing, one day the captain calls him up on the bridge. And the captain said, this spot in the ocean is where the ship went down and the lives of your daughters were lost. At that point, he was thinking about how his daughters were now safely home with Jesus. And he wrote down the words that he was thinking and they've become a hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. You see, the story is supposed to have a happy ending. 
And if you're part of the kingdom of Christ, it not only has a happy ending, it has endless happiness. But you must choose. You get to choose your birth. You get to choose if you're born into the royal family by whether or not you choose Jesus. Would you pray with me? And even if you're watching online, I invite you to bow your heads and pray with us. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us truth, the truth. As our heads are bowed and eyes closed, if you never accepted Jesus as your Savior, but you recognize that you are a sinner, that you are lost, and you need forgiving, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, if you believe he rose from the grave, if you've never invited him into your heart, would you do so now? You don't need fancy words. All you need is something like this, Lord Jesus, save me. And he will. Lord Jesus, thank you for the promise you've given us of glory, of hope, of beauty, of love, of peace and joy forever. Lord, help us to spread that message this Christmas and beyond. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.